0: challenge us because we have different understandings and different upbringings that doesn't mean that we're still not part of the community and to this i was talking to bennett and it is one thing that i've noticed from a generational basis we have come into this lazy kind of intellectual and moral exercise of calling out people without embracing the conflict that is necessary for both people as individuals and society. And so the real juicy baby back rib of all this is to navigate conflict, to get yourself messy. you got like barbecue sauce all over your hands and face. That is the meditation. That is the exercise. But for some reason, we've gotten into this thing of calling out people and then amputating them. And unless you are really into um, being by yourself in a room and saying, I was right. I think, you know, there was an old saying, you can be right or you can be happy. And for most of us, we should think about that a bit more.
1: Greetings from wherever you're listening to us from. Welcome to another amazing and amazing episode of the Heartwood Podcast. Your co-host today, Dr. Thomas Richard Easley, aka the Hip Hop Forester, proud to be sitting next to the other co-host, Bennett Alupo, and uh, we've joined forces today and we brought on a very powerful individual. Uh, this is definitely going to be a different, you know, interview, but a wonderful and a wonderful one, as they all are. But we're going to get some different type of history today, and I really want to start by acknowledging and recognizing. Dr. Patrick Rogers, and saying, thank you, sir, for being with us. And um, uh, we, we're we just going to jump right in because I think that it's great for our audience to know a little bit more, to know way more about you. So my, I guess my first thing I'd like to ask is, can you tell us about yourself and uh, who do you identify as? What do you do? So we'll start there.
0: Yeah. Um, first of all, I just want to thank you guys for inviting me um, anytime I can. Break bread and um, share thought with other people in the community. It's it's very welcome. So I very much appreciate the invitation. So um, Pat Gonzalez Rogers. Um, I'm originally from Hawaii, and you know I do think, you know, we all play um, this narrative, and that narrative really has a kind of a dotted line and, and a nexus to all of our upbringings. For me. Um, that includes living with, you know, what I call all the habiliments of poverty. I grew up, um, in a public housing, um, one of the rougher ones in, um, Oahu. Um, you know, I I think my situation is not too, um, dissimilar from a lot of people of BIPOC communities. I grew up with a single mom, three generations in a household for, um, a lot of my life and, the, you know, the thing I would like to highlight about that is not, you know, the poverty, because I think most people that live in that kind of environment, they don't even know they're poor. You know, you, you just kind of going along with everyone else. But what's more important is this upbringing provided with me with everything I needed to be successful. There was love. There was support. There was guidance. There were many lessons that really translate to where I am now. Um Some of it was chaotic, um, but on the other hand, it was really a kind of a case study on how you have the ability to really perform in the moment and kind of um, disassemble situations that I think for a lot of people um, can be very anxiety filled. Um, For me, you know when i think about this it, it it really kind of reflects um my upbringing as a child and and so when i think about these um things that i'm involved with now they they seem kind of like in slow motion to me they they flow they have a synergy and they i can kind of go seamlessly from one situation to the next and it has a lot to do with how i was brought up so who do I identify with? I will say this: I, I never met my um birth father. My birth father is um Caucasian. He is I th- I think um almost full Irish. My mom is um Chinese, Filipino, Samoan. On the Filipino and Samoan side, um they're indigenous. Um, so um I really kind of relate to uh, many native cultures in that way. Um. As well as kind of knowing that I, in many ways, um, straddle the fence between um, what I was born into, but also where I want to go as a a person. And so with that in mind, I'm always rooted in my upbringing, but always trying to advance it in a way that the community um, is really the thing that I think about in, in much of my work.
1: No, thank you. Thank you for, oh, because that, that that just hit me. Uh, there's so much that you said, and I'm not going to do, I'm going to say the unreal thing or the fake thing is like, I get this, but there was something that you said about, you said we didn't know that we were poor. Um, I, I grew up in North Birmingham and I was raised by my parents, but mostly by my grandparents. And uh, they introduced me to the outdoors, if you will. They introduced me to gardening, but I didn't know that we were poor either until my grandmother passed away. And it's like when she died, it was like the whole family fell apart and it was like reality hit. And I, I, I don't know if what was happening in the neighborhood hit us, you know, because she was she was our, our leader. But it was like when she went so much strength went with her and then it made us all have to figure things out. And I, I, I can say this that my grandma did when I was eight years old. I, I hope you all would appreciate this. When I was eight, she sat me down. This before she got sick. And she and I was sick at the time. She never let me stay sick and just lay up. She'd be like, mm. so you had to stay home from school, get in there, clean the dishes, get in here and wash these clothes, get in here. And I'm going to teach you how to cook. And then she told me, right, for real, it was like a week before she got sick. She said, I want to teach you everything because I don't want you to necessarily be like your grandfather. I, I don't know what that meant. And she said, I don't want you. If you don't ever get married and have a girlfriend, you're going to be just fine. And when I tell you for the rest of my life, I feel like everything I learned, I learned at kindergarten at, at, at the age of eight. It's like, that's what has stuck with me. So I just, I feel like I do understand that about the upbringing. And I mean, it was a struggle, but I didn't know. And so I just, I, I, I vibe with those words. And I want to thank you for explaining it that way. Um, and so with, with that, i I like to ask them, what's been the most impactful or insightful thing that you've learned, you know, from, Students on campus, but maybe even also I would say even associates on campus because you you come from I'm sure a different background than a lot of people, but then people may not understand maybe similar to a lot of people that they really you know just open their minds and lean in.
0: Yes, you know, for me, um, I, I I say this and I don't say it um, trying to be self deprecating. Is I I really um, gain much more than the students. It is the collective energy. Um, and how they really kind of you know I, i'm a little north of 60 i know i look good and shit but um <laughs> is um it, it is it's the energy and the enthusiasm and then as well as kind of um how we really um both are in this dynamic of sharing experience and knowledge i think you know sometimes i have problems with the academy because the platform in which people look at me is one of intentional conscription, right? And mm-hmm. um, what I do have is probably a little more life experience. I'm a little older, but I don't think the way that we, we've we created this where they look up, where we should be just looking at each other is more appropriate. Um, and so in many ways, I consider them my peers. Um, and so I've been incredibly kind of gratified but also energized by the experience I I tell people um, with no kind of sense of irony or embellishment that I feel incredibly kind of optimistic for the future, especially being around young brothers like Bennett as well as other people that I know within the Yale community but this is not just you know the Yale community which in some ways is this really kind of, fantastic, but also an intellectual Disneyland, right? Um, and like all amusement parks, you got to leave. To stay in the environment is to perpetuate, I think, an intellectual immaturity. Um, we all need to go back to our communities and actually do the work. So sometimes it's, it's great for, you know, pondering and pontificating, but after that, you got to do, you know, you just got to go out and grind.
1: Wait, can I ask you about that? Like, uh, okay, because I feel like because of my upbringing, I have a I have a similar under or the same, to be honest with you. Now, of course, as I grew up, you know, it was like a child had their place. You know, we were of to be seen and not heard. But my grandma didn't treat us like that. But when I came into the academy, I I noticed that, um, like, I, I got really comfortable, you know, with the students at first because I wanted them to feel safe with me and feel that they could be open with me. But at the same time, I did recognize that uh, that there that there could be a power dynamic. So I intentionally tried to break it down, you know, so that they could like, look, ask me whatever you want to ask me, because I'm learning alongside you. Would you say that that, that developed because of like something from your family background? Or would you say that that may be developed from something from another part of your professional background or something that you just had when you were, you know, coming up in the academy and said, I want to do this differently?
0: Yeah, so you know, I had a lot of instructive people growing up, and I, I I really grew up within the Polynesian culture. And so the the term for teacher is called kumu, and then student is haumana. So there is nothing more sacred than that particular kind of dynamic, but you know, the more I kind of you know became educated and kind of you know went through undergraduate and then subsequently law school. What I notice is that many of these things are from a Western construct, right? And the Western construct is to really um, integrate a vertical dynamic. And so because of that, one party is always looking up and one party is looking down and so i think those sensibilities we really have to kind of at times feature the dominant paradigm of them because it is a reflection especially from bipoc communities on how we are subordinated within this kind of caste that america has given us and so even within educational structures which at you know at its primacy have both education and benevolence there is still this really and putative kind of dynamic where we possess the knowledge and you are looking for the knowledge. And that creates, I think, um, you know, um, like many things, I think it can be effective in the short term, but it doesn't have long-term sustainability, and, and nor does it go to the equanimity that I think many of our cultures want to embrace.
1: Whoa! so then how uh, I
0: told you, you told
1: told me, me. me, wow, we should have had what he asked for in the beginning. Okay, but we'll deal with that later. All right. Uh, (laughs) How how do you use your power then to uh, empower others or uplift? Uh, you know, uh, because I know some people may not think that we can empower like like I know for me, I say that I set up environments for people to empower themselves, you know, and then that way they take control, they're the leader, they're the guy and I continue to learn from them, you know, but I don't want to, you know, say that everybody should think that. that. So I'm just putting that out. So I just use the question again that I'll need to put together. How How do you use your power
0: to empower others? Um. So I, I, I use this as you got to go to AA, not the 12 step, AA in terms of you gotta be authentic and you gotta create access by being authentic to who you are, and actually in some of the more or less desirable kinds of um parts of myself, um, you know, one of the first things I, I say in my class is probably everyone from an intelligent quotient, um being you know, a student at Yale. And having the ability to articulate really erudite thought, everyone is more advanced than me. Um, and I, I don't say that because um, I, I'm trying to, you know, you know, float their boat. I, I say that because I actually mean it. Um, I come from, you know, a different background. I'm a practitioner. Now, you, if you ask me, um, do I understand things as the crow flies and all the kinds of dynamics? that are involved, um, especially in the large scale kind of conservation green space, I I, I will probably tell you, I I, I have a, a high kind of emotional intelligence towards those things. Um, so, you know, I, I, one is again, presenting the totality of myself, both attributes and those things that I'm still trying to work on as a person. And then um, how, you know, even how I came to know Bennett is to have my door open. If you want to sit down, you want to break bread, um, you want to b- bring me a bottle of Henny, um, I'm all down for it. Um, I'm but still waiting it, on the Henny, we have something else, but we yeah. have that. <laughs> um, but you know, my, you know, one of the points that I was kind of, I, I told Bennett that I was a bit surprised and a tiny bit disappointed is when I see other members of the academy that are faculty, and they seem to have a very economical kind of posture to how much they're involved um, with students, and you know, perhaps one that's from a cultural perspective for me, it is to really extend myself and um, um, express aloha. I think you know, you you guys have a you know a thought that aloha means love. Literally, aloha means, alo to, to encounter each other in a way that we're looking face to face, and then ha, to breathe my essence to you. And so, when you think uh, yeah, about sure. it in that way, it is not giving the things that are convenient, the things are superfluous, the things that are redundant. It is to give the best part of yourself to another person. And so, um, maybe because I don't want to become a tenured faculty, and I see this as a kind of, I'm, I'm not sure how long I would be at Yale, I want to kind of experience in its totality um, and, and have a really robust experience, and that means making myself, um, as much as I can, um, open and accessible to students. So, again, authenticity with accessibility, I think is is the vehicle that i kind of drive um to meet some of that
2: and that's something i've been wondering how to break that down through like the whole school system mm-hmm. uh you see it in like a high school middle school mm-hmm. there'll be a lot of teachers with the doors doors closed or saying basically like, get out like get out of the classroom mm-hmm. and then there's a couple teachers in every school where the students just gravitate towards in love because yes. the door's always open yes. and the yeah. teachers themselves and it feels like an actual community when you go there, uh-huh. and that's education. Schooling is just teaching and just trying to get the knowledge from one place to another. But education is that whole that whole person perspective. And then shout to Dominic Delfos, because he was the person who put me onto that. So. Yeah,
0: you know, yeah. I, I think about this in a way, and and this these are just kind of maybe, um, oh, what I suspect, but to a certain degree, if you can really be editorial and create a tiny pipeline to this knowledge, you invariably make it commodified, right? And when it's commodified, it became becomes this almost like a rare mineral element. And so by, again, economically creating um, small paths of accessibility, that person becomes this rarefied holder of knowledge and i don't want to be that i want to kind of like whatever you want to know come in i may not know it but you certainly have access to me
1: the way you're talking i just i had to give my mom a shout out because my mom was a school teacher and that's exactly how she was she she i would watch her she taught eighth fourth and second grade and i would watch her just like love on these kids. Sometimes we, my sister and I be like, we want that love too. But it was just the way that she did it. It's like they, she got their trust. It wasn't just how she taught them, it was how she talked to them when they were doing bad things. She never talked down to them. You know, she always was like, you know, I'm calling you wonderful because that's what I expect of you. Mm-hmm. And then they was like, all of a sudden, stop it. And then I'm like, that's all she had to do. And just you're, and also the way, Dr. Rogers, that you were talking about how you see yourself. When I came in, that's what I said about me. I said, I don't think that I know, you know, all, all of these things, but I do know that I care about the engagements that I'm having with people. And I left my door open. I want people to know that they're valued. I don't want people to know that they matter. And then if you want to know what I know, well, let's have a conversation. But I'm not trying to prove to you that I'm the man, you know, like, let's, let's talk, you know, because I'm not in competition with you. And the other thing I just say this other thing going to I went to a historical black university. That's how they taught us there. You know they wouldn't let us like compete with each other. You know they would say you need to get the work done, but in the end you have to stick together because when we get outside these doors, they're looking at us a certain way, and we need to support each other. And so, Doc, I, I really want to I, I want to thank you for that because in Austin you just reminded me of that, and I really do appreciate it. And the one other thing too. You also make me appreciate hip hop, too, because I feel like that's what we do in the hip hop community, you know, sometimes the thuggerism and stuff. That's what we do. So with that, well, I, well, let, let, let me let
0: know. me give you, in my first semester, um, I wore uh, a shirt purposely, and I had at the time a, a really um, great professor named Matt Fletcher from the University of Michigan Law School. He's native. And then I had my best boy from New Mexico, who's now the attorney general of the state, named Ra- Raul Torres. But I wore a sweatshirt that day on, um, from Boogie Down Productions. And so I wanted to let them know the analogy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Lux at Veritas um, is the, you know, the whole kind of um, model of Yale, right? Knowledge and light. But Boogie Down Productions, KRS-One, knowledge reigns supremes. Now we're bringing the shit back to the Mecca. Um, And so I wanted to create this analogy, right? That the community may look different, but the emphasis on how we acquire and how we value knowledge is the same thing. Um, So, you know, all because you may not have a lot of letters after your name, um, don't get it twisted. Um, People are acquiring it in different ways and operationalizing it um, um, in some ways in a much more kind of practical as well as prominent way. And so, you know, that's just, you know, something that resonates for me. No, I just, look, I got to show you. So R.I.P. Dave, I'm wearing the
1: De La Soul T-shirt right now. So I I bring hip-hop with me everywhere of the soul, and I just appreciate that. And you made me think about Dr. Michael Braboid who was my mentor when I was in my doctorate. And He said, Thomas, don't ever let your career stop just thinking that because you have a PhD. And that's because of him I stopped to pursue tenure. That's what you said. I said, oh, I won't do it. He said, because people think that that's their career. He said, your career is what you keep doing. He said, it doesn't stop there. And I just appreciate Dr. Boy. And I appreciate you too. I for real, Dr. Rogers, because you you see I'm getting high. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, all right, okay, all right. He's speaking multiple languages up in here. Uh, well, I, I, I want to switch. I want to I shift gears. I want to go to this one. I'd like to shift gears here for, for a minute. And I, I want to read this just as our leader here has put it. The former director of the CIA has a year-long fellowship to TJL. The CIA led the Operation Chaos, basically on Telpro, that implicated the assassination of Patrice Lumumba and, the un- and undermined other states. Our leader here recently had a class with people who are running Africa's version of the School of the Americas. And being here and being around things like this really, really tear us up. How do you wrestle with being involved with institutions like Yale while promoting environmental justice, a.k.a. EJ?
0: Well, here's the thing is I don't have to agree with everything. I think this is a continuum, right? And that continuum um, at its primacy is a discourse. How do we engage in um, with each other in topics that we may we may not have compatible opinions. Um, and my thing is not to proselytize or evangelize my opinion. My thing is to give um, voice and license to what I say that does not mean you have to agree with it. But as a society, I think you know, we have come to, this kind of inflection point especially from an ideological kind of perspective where we now have the far right and the far left kind of toting the proverbial wagon of our political sensibilities and the fact of the matter is most of us are smack dab in the middle right and so um you know i i think the the exercise is not to convince the exercise is to have a cordial, cordial, robust, um, and sometimes it, it can be a, a very vigorous debate. Um, but through that, we gain some understanding. You know, I, I talk to you. You know, um, I would say I'm I'm more left on the spectrum, but I don't mind hearing the perspective of of people uh, on the other side, um, as well as I have to be friends and I have to love them because at the end of the day, I don't want you to be a mirror of me. I want you to mirror where you come from. Um, and so while we may have some you know, things that challenge us because we have different understandings and different upbringings, that doesn't mean that we're still not part of the community. And to this, I was talking to Bennett And it is one thing that I have noticed from a generational basis, we have come into this lazy kind of intellectual and moral exercise of calling out people without embracing the conflict that is necessary for both people as individuals and society. And so the real juicy baby back rib of all this is to navigate conflict, to get yourself messy. You got like barbecue sauce all over your hands and face. That is the meditation. That is the exercise. But for some reason, we've gotten into this thing of calling out people and then amputating them. And unless you are really into um, being by yourself in a room and saying, I was right, I think, you know, there was an old saying you can be right or you can be happy. And for most of us, we should think about that a bit more because, you know, it's like a personal relationship. I can be with my wife who I've been with for now 30 something years and be correct. And you know what? My lazy ass will be sleeping on the couch for the weekend. So there (laughs) is repercussion for all of these endeavors. and, And we need to really reflect upon it because at the end of the day, we still live Within this this grand grand um, experiment of democracy,
1: everybody, listening, I've been counting. That's the fifth drop the mic moment. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's that's yeah. the fifth one. All right. Just yeah. drop the mic. I mean, you were crushing it today, Doc. I, man, when I've been I've been doing diversity work now for like twenty years, and that was one of the things that I learned early is uh, you can't avoid conflict when you have all when you have a lot of brilliance, different ideas that come in then it's, a, it's bound to happen. And I noticed that in the academy, it almost feels, and shoot, I don't even say legally and um, on the political spectrum, it's like they're trying to remove that whole diversity. Yeah. It's like we all got to see things the same way. And I'm like, no, that's literally the opposite. In my opinion, what it means to be fully human, yeah. to be fully in in, in community, and also be fully popping on all cylinders, you know, like, hey, if my mind's going here, you know, the minimum may eventually say something. I'm like, I don't know if I see it like that, brother. You know, it don't mean that we literally disagree in a moment, just maybe we need to talk. But if we do, hey, we can still embrace and, and be there. So man, I'm
2: okay, all right. And okay. things, things mm-hmm. that can leak later too. Like yeah. that's a big thing. Like you have that com- If you don't have that conversation, you'll never, like you're saying earlier, learn. Like, right. People don't realize how much they take in like a day later. Or two days after a conversation. Right. It changes how they approach the next one. Right. And uh there's this, there's this proverb, an evil proverb, where it says every great house has uh many different types of people. There could be children who steal, there could be children who study, there could be children who do this. Um so whenever there's a drum playing, there's always somebody dancing. So oh, six. Yeah. And yeah, like- that's something that I think about a lot. Okay. And like we need that diversity of thought. We need that diversity in every single sense of the word. So
0: yeah, we we need to think about more on how we end conversations too. I, I think we have got away from, you know, expressing our things, and we're so busy trying to validate our own um perspectives and opinions that we fail at the end to tell that person across from us, either you know, that brother or sister. at the end of the day, all right, maybe I don't agree with it, but you know what? I still value you and I still love you. And to leave it on that kind of note, our thing is now to kind of, we want to decimate the other side and vilify them. Um, And so that becomes part of the problem. And that is a right and left problem. That is not just, you know, the the other side does it. And so, um, you know, too often, we we want to have that last word, right? Um, and in the reality, that last word should be an expression of love, period. Ooh, well, the doc,
1: you know what? This this is a continuation then from that last question. Thank you again. The legal status of the Kingdom of Hawaii in the moment, you know, comes to mind. And Ben and I both agree to us it's a kingdom, but to most Americans, to see it as a state. Uh, how do you, if you, excuse me, if, if you struggle, you know, with, like, how do you validate certain beliefs in the process of seeking, in these processes that, in my opinion, in our opinion, seek to undermine negative effects?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think like all of us, we have to really digest history, and some of it um, is incredibly unpleasant, right? Um, and so it should inform and instruct us but it also should not create a kind of um, such a a barrier obstacle that we can't move forward. And for a lot of people, right, um, the problem is, is that we're in a system, a construct in in which um, on one side, the U.S. represents um, so many great things. On the other, its history is tethered to the acquisition the kind of creating people as chattel and has really violence as one of its kind of primary predicates and underpinnings. Um, And so, you know, I can kind of step back from it, um, but for others, the historical trauma is still with them and it makes them hard to kind of move past the particular moment because what was lost is so vast and profound right and so we need to kind of just be with those people um because we're at all different stages of how we're navigating this um either individually or as a collective kind of group um and it becomes very difficult but historical trauma if you will and this is true of all bipoc communities most um um What is most visible or what is the greatest residue of of that trauma is mistrust. The mistrust of institutions, the mistrust of communities, the mistrust of maybe even our government, because there is a continual failure that um, then meanders into systemic failure, Of how we treat these communities from a historical perspective. And so, you know, one of the things that I talk about all the time, you know, in whatever I'm doing, it is not the particular like big project or objective or mission, it is to build a bridge of trust so we can be in front of each other, so I can talk to you in a way um, in, in which you know I have your best interests in mind, that I will really listen, um, because this is so kind of emblematic of what we've put on communities, this trauma, and then how it kind of you know um, reveals itself is this really kind of profundity of I don't trust this other side.
1: What? Everything you said, Land, it, it just hit me. But it was something in particular, how you said, you just gave me something that I've, I've been wondering how I could say this. You said, I can step back from it. That's powerful to be able to say that You know, as a, per, as a, as a man of color. And I realized that, 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 that that's one of those things that I didn't realize. Like, it's, it's almost like a little bit of a, like a relief you know, that I can kind of do that, like, because I realized that it wasn't, not saying that every community is innocent, but it wasn't my people that created this, Mm -hmm. and to be able to say, I can kind of step back from this, and then watch how it's manifesting in other people, and then I can see why when, it's almost, there's a part of me that almost someone understands, maybe the envy or the jealousy that we don't have to deal with certain things, because it didn't come it, didn't, it doesn't originate from us. And, you know, I, I don't want to say victims because we're not victims here, but, you know, but we are the, and we're not the benefactors, but we're definitely, you know, the the, uh, the the current result of the current, you know, state of all of these things that happened that actually impacted our people. And, Doc, I mean, for real, I just, I, I've been wondering for years, I'm just like, what is it, this this tension that I feel that we have? And I'm like, oh, I can kind of step back from this and, and versus being forced to have to sit in it like that in a certain way. You know, and and so with that doc, I like to ask you how, uh, as we try try we'll wind it down. You know, uh, how can institutions, yeah, my to turn too, avoid being culture vultures <laughs> or exploiting or or exploiting of communities that they have impoverished or uprooted.
0: Yeah, I, I think they have to look at you know what they're doing, but how they put individuals like ourselves in the, in the smack in the middle of things. And why I say that, and you probably have all experienced, in the reality, this is a triangulated relationship, right? You have um, the community that you may be representing yourself, and then some other kind of institutionality, right? And so for me, in many instances, it is the Native community, myself, and then perhaps some big green or conservation group right Mm -hmm. the the tension that is built into that is you're a conduit between two parties and you take up all of the psychic energy and you have to facilitate that means just like electricity like a transmission line you're taking that all in so that really requires you know where are you emotionally? Where are you from a kind of a mental health psychically? Because what you are constantly doing is taking at times really positive energies and at other times really kind of historically embedded negative energies from both parties. And you're trying to transform that um, and and make a kind of a lucid communication out of it. And so it can be really difficult work. Um, and so that's why I said that thing about stepping kind of out or stepping back from it. One is to rejuvenate yourself at times um, because um, the sustainability of this work, at least for me when I, I do it, is uh, I usually go for like several years on it and then i just need to kind of step back for like 6 months to 12 months because um it it there is a psychic cost to it um and I, I i make these kinds of acknowledgments for myself so that i can do that next thing around the corner but it is also with this sensibility of awareness that i'm kind of taking in a bunch of energies all the time oh.
1: Can you tell us, you know, what you'd like to do with your free time? You know, uh, what would you be willing to share? You know, in those those six months or period when you take those those steps back?
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, um, you know, for those of you know that have worked for me, you know, um, I'm old school R and B man. Every day, all day, twice on Sundays, the sweat factory. Everything starts and begins with Keith Sweat. Um all the ancient wisdom of mankind is in this man. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times I've seen Keats wedding concert.
1: You thank, <laughs> you. You're thank you thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I got so much hate for my boys growing up because I love Keith Swiss music, man. <laughs> it, took, it took 30 years for me to meet somebody else who loves Keith. Man, you just gave me my life. Now. Thank you, man. I'm
0: Nobody. Gonna... Twisted. Let's get it started. These are the ancient sea scrolls that biblical scholars have been looking for for centuries. But if they were to just unpack them, there is an epiphany, an oracle of knowledge.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you don't know, you got to listen to Keith Sweat? You don't know. I'm telling you, man. It'll, oh, hey, it'll, it'll save relationships. It'll save jobs. He will save love. Listen, I need man. to go a war more. Okay. I, I'm yes. lost. I'm yes. wandering.
2: I'm wandering lost. Yes,
1: yes. and then venture in the silk just for a little bit,
0: come back to Keith Sweat. Okay, yeah. come back to Keith. Right back. <laughs> you got to be careful with with it, Bennett. Keith is poignant, oh. man. <laughs> <laughs> You might whatever, have a a little friend over, you play some Keith Sweat. People who want to have like, they think the relationship going in a different direction. So, you know, like, be (laughs) careful. Try to let lose what you're saying. (laughs) Keith ain't no joke.
2: (laughs) I'll make sure, I'll be careful, I'll be careful. Only in certain situations. (laughs)
0: but you know i also i I say that this and i'm serious if you go like and you kind of see a keats sweat concert right um it's people smiling people being nostalgic kind of communing on this like era that has kind of passed us by and for me you know um it's one of the reasons i like it um it, it creates a feeling that i i I am nostalgic, but I also, I feel liberated. I mean, you know, I I do other things like I still work out, I get outside, I spend time with my lovely, my one dime, my wife, Um, you know, but also I I have an extended family that, you know, um, is really my nieces and nephews. And um, just like how I like the environment at Yale, I like the environment of really spending time with the next generation, you know, um, and so for me, that's the kind of the catharsis. That is where I feel most authentic um, and I become rejuvenated in, in the process. I, I, I think, you know, being part of the academy, being part of the conservation space, being authentic to who we are, um, it's not an easy gig. Um, it, it, you're, you're juggling many, many different kinds of wants, sensibilities, desires, as well as we kind of, you know, we're still working on ourselves. And so, you know, I think the biggest thing that I always, you know, tell people is I'm not all there, you know, um, in, in terms of a wholeness as a person, I'm still working on it. But I am operating, I know, from love and gratitude. And love and gratitude is the WD-40 of life. It will lubricate most situations, most environments, most predicaments, so that you have a path forward. And so um, it sounds cliche, but it's at the heart of all of my work, as well as my management style. I
1: think you just answered it. And if you did, please, I apologize for the redundancy. I... I'd like to ask if 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 you could leave the this institution, you know, and that's that's faculty, but particularly, you know, students learning one thing from you. I mean, I, I I got i got to take that WD for the statement, man. But what would it be, Doc?
0: It, unless it's that. No, I, it would be that. I mean, um, and then followed by Fridays, the original kid in play ain't gonna hurt nobody by brick. <laughs> say
1: but, hello. Say hello. <laughs> Yeah. Doc, I did, okay, I won't look. Okay, no, Full this Lord, I did not expect to feel like the happiest man and the kid at the same time in the interview today. I really didn't. Uh, to, to, to be able to talk about government, to be able to talk about pain and history, and then to still wrap it up, uh, lubricate it with the WD-40 of love and gratitude, and a man is teaching me by BDP, the man Knowledge race supreme but then everybody, and then a piece went. What I appreciate about what you did, Doc, is you shown, you, Okay, I'm with you when you say I'm still working to be whole, but I really feel like the way that you have spoken to us today, and even I'll just say, like even like to me, is is helping to make me whole because you're not siloing the things that you enjoy. You know your love. You know, same with me. Uh, you, you know your family. And then you also you, you 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 it it comes it all comes together for you like you said it's a triangulation and I, and I just want to thank you for being an example you know for people and an example for me it's my first time you know meeting you but I really want to thank you for that and with that because you gave so much brilliance and I, and people hear what I said so much brilliance the last question that I want to ask you sir is what has been your most profound or memorable moment in your Career so far, so far, that's right. You still got a lot more to do, I know, as far as it, uh, with regard to environmental justice.
0: So for me, you know, I don't think about this in terms of, oh, you did the Bears years or you're involved in this other monument. I think about this in terms of people. And it is always um, the progeny of the people that we work with is really the only kind of um actually legitimate and real indicator that I'm doing the right thing. Where have they advanced? Where are they going in their careers? Um, And so it is the thing that I take most pride with. You know, um, when I left the Bears Ears, um, one of my staff now is the co-managing director. But the thing is I hired her when she was a junior in college as an intern. And then I created a fellowship and then she was an intern in graduate school. And then she was part of the staff. So, you know, the thing that I'm most proud about is, is how she has developed as a person. I mean, and I have like all kinds of stories and those are the ones I reflect upon. Where have these individuals gone and how have I been there to, you know, whatever way I could to nurture and support them as individuals, as well as the places they wanted to go professionally. And so those are the things I am actually most kind of proud of.
1: I wanna I gotta apologize because I didn't ask if you wanted to say anything. Yeah, I apologize, man. I mean, I mean you want to jump in. Yeah, I'll take it. This. I'm taking this is perfect for me. Bro, is there, is there?
0: Yeah, Bennett wants to announce that the YSE is going to be um announcing in the fall the Alizé Scholarship. Um <laughs> We worked all year to get the scholarship going. <laughs> Unfortunately, we down drank all of the scholarship away. What's the criteria for the LSA
2: scholarship?
0: <laughs> it starts with you sweat. It's not this,
1: no, I mean, this has been the most fun. Yeah, interview, we're done. It's a bit, I, I just wish I was sitting at the street to, like, talk to, like, like. well, we are face-to-face. As you mentioned, right. Loha, I, I wish I could present my best self, you know, like, to you in, in person in this way. Well, but I'll, I'll say this
0: one thing, because, you know, um, I've sp- spoken in critical kinds of tones about Yale. Definitely. Now, using my words of Keith, don't get it twisted. I told Bennett this. I come from New Mexico um, every week. I catch a flight. I land in LaGuardia, I catch a cab, and then I get on a train. Um, This train always goes, you know, uh, it's an Amtrak. And, you know, like when you post out of New York, it goes through the the north side of Queens, and you can see the whole skyline of New York. Almost every week I come to tears to know that I'm allowed to be in this position at Yale to share whatever I know. Um, and it's so there's a profundity of gratitude that, yes, I'm critical of the institution, but I'm also proud of my association, as well as I know I'm one of the few people that get to be in this position. And so, um, like everything else, it, it, there's a balance to all of this.
1: That, that, that makes me uh, just reflect on one last thing that I say a lot of times when it comes to diversity, especially for people who like to call folks out. I said, remember, it's still a two-way street. You know, if we're, if 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 you're to get something in this experience, you know, if you're to take something, excuse me, from this experience, then you have to give something. And if you're going to give something, remember to take something. And I and um and uh you you have, like I said, it's just been an amazing example for this uh, the, throughout the presentation. I wish I had a class under you because I could see where my confidence would blow up like exponentially, and I would see where I would also be comfortable. You know, kind of like Obama did, you know, he could talk professionally and then talk to my at a podium, you know, just like do that. And uh, and I just appreciate you, Doc. Um, is there anything, you know, I mean, we, we talked about a lot. We talked about you, your career, environmental justice, even your family, your your upbringing, you know, how you've empowered other people, helped students, your love for people, your gratitude. Is there anything else in that same vein that I have neglected to ask you about to do Just like to say, yeah, Thomas, let me just say this, this last thing.
0: No, you know, I I think just kind of touching upon, um, and probably it's our last thing, what we're going to talk about today is um, as we kind of gather, right, Um, and that's what we do, we acquire, we accumulate, Um, the next exercise is to give it all away. Mm -hmm. That is the process. We gather, accumulate, and then just give it all away to the generation or those ones standing right next to us. Otherwise, we're just hoarders. Right. And so it is, you know, my sense of my own mortality um, at Yale is I'm in the process of trying to just give away all I can.
1: For all of you book lovers, book readers, there's a new text out for you. Mind Heart for Diversity, written by Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley. This book is for those who care about matters of Diversity, equity and inclusion. For those who want to talk about race or gender challenges or issues going on in the world. For those who don't want to hold a book in your hand, I have a physical copy. The book is also available on Audible. So thank you for supporting the book, Mind Heart for Diversity, written by, once again, Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley, founder and CEO of Mind Heart for Diversity Consulting, LLC. Thank you. Hey, well, Everyone, as you've been listening, okay, to, wow, I, I don't know, I want, I want to say angel, I want to say leader, so I'm going to say angel leader, but Dr. Patrick, am and, and I saying it right, Gonzalez Rogers? Yeah. I want to say thank you, sir, for your time. Listeners, listen, you need to take, just take everything away from what you just said. Just take it, But, but and that last thing, give it all away. One, because you can't take it with you anyway. Mm-hmm. So give it all away, and the more you give, the more you're going to get and uh, I feel so like I came here. I thought I felt light this morning. I feel like weightless now. Like I, man, like I just I feel like I'm ready to go take on in as many ways as you want to think about. It? I can take I can take on the world. And Doc, I mean, for real, you have imbued me with with a positive power and, um, and, and, and the spirit. And I do hope that one day I can meet you in person, seriously, and uh, just talk or even break bread or share bread because. Uh, I'm walking around today like you know on clouds. And um, Benny, how about you? Got anything? Pretty much the same. Like this has been a great two days. We
2: uh, we interviewed um, Dr. Torres yesterday, and just like going from one to the next,
1: it's it's been beautiful. Like it's been a great experience. And you had a commonality, right? Yeah, You hear yeah. Commonality yeah. with yeah. giving to people, giving yeah. to your students, mm-hmm. seeing what they do, how that how that represents you and what you're doing. Yeah. So, Hartwood audience, listen. Um, be thankful, be 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 grateful, give, give thanks and appreciate. Be thankful and appreciate you for being here with us. Peace out. Till the next time. Love y'all. Blessings. Thank Blessings. you.